Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Wednesday, December the 11th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we go inside the film room to break down the All-22 from the lost Sunday in New York. Chad O'Shea might have had his best performance yet creating opportunities for an undermanned offense. Plus, it's crossover Wednesday with Locked On Giants. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. The show is at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com for all your daily Dolphins content up on the website. We got a busy show. Let's go ahead and jump right in. We talked briefly on the podcast yesterday about how the Dolphins utilized way more 12 and 13 personnel packages on Sunday than they normally do, more than double what they normally do as a matter of fact. And a lot of that had to do with the offense getting undercut in terms of healthy bodies being available for Chad O'Shea. But it wasn't just after Devontae Parker and Albert Wilson got hurt that they did that. Miami was using passing plays from running packages to create that offensive success, to create separation for the receivers at the second level in behind the linebackers. And for me, as an all-22 junkie, it was a lot of fun to watch. You line up in 12 13, 21, or even 22 personnel with two backs and two tight ends on the field. And linebackers have no choice when you do that but to honor the run. Even when you average a league low 68.7 yards per rush, you have to have the second level fit those gaps on those packages because you have so many gaps with the extra men added at the line of scrimmage that you have no choice. You have to commit to the running game. So Miami did that and used the versatility of Mike Kosicki or the size of Alan Hearns to create opportunities for Fitzpatrick in the passing game at that second level. And then once they moved the ball successfully on those looks, the first drive was 16 plays for 77 yards. Then they threw a pick on the first play of drive number two. So we'll discount that one. But then they come back with 10 plays of 52 yards on the third drive and eight plays for 60 yards on the fourth drive. And that was right around the time when they started to incorporating runs from those packages that would entice a running play, but they had started off by passing the ball so much they would get stretch runs off the outside of those deep edges with a lead block or otherwise into that massive edge with two tight ends and a fullback. That's an extra three gaps, an extra three guys you have to commit down to the line of scrimmage. And then from there, once they had some success doing that, they used play action boot layered concepts where Fitzpatrick would fake the handoff into that deep edge, into the double tight ends, into the fullback lead. And then he would keep the ball and pull back on a bootleg and Fitz was able to tuck it and find a wide open Isaiah 
afford on a layered concept. It's these play sequencing where they put one play in the mind of the defense, use another play to capitalize on that, and then go back off of that and revert with several different options to keep the defense thinking. This mode of attack left wide open windows throughout this game, and that's how they gained 362 yards in this game when they were so undermanned. Now, the red zone was a different story altogether. They had zero success in that area. Protection broke down. Fitzpatrick was off target, and he had a few times, I thought, where he was off in this game. Not his best game of the season. And that inability to make a play down there ultimately cost Miami this football game. But I still can't get over the fact that there were still... 15 weeks into this war of attrition with a roster that is just not good enough, they're still finding these small wins. The individual performances, however, do not inspire as much hope. I start off up front with the lineman who I thought played the best in this game, and he was a first-time starter, Keaton Sutherland, the left guard. The dude is so strong, and he plays with a pretty good balance in his lower half. He had three or four clips in the highlight reel up on Twitter where he would punch turn and seal and that was fun to watch because he created most of the running yardage off that left side with the work that he did now he needs some work in pass protection but still first start very encouraging for Sutherland Julian Davenport you guys know how that story goes. We'll leave it alone. Daniel Kilgore had a rough day in this one. Very rough. He was consistently beat up by Quinnen Williams and Steve McClendon, the Jets' bigger, stronger interior defensive line. And so was Evan Bame at right guard. They both had rough, rough games. Jesse Davis was not as good as he was last week. Certainly not in pass protection. But he and Durham Smythe teamed up for a pair of nice edge seals on big Patrick Laird runs. Well... 16 yards and 6 yards. That's big for this Dolphins offense. I thought Smythe had his best game that he's had in a while as a run blocker. At receiver, Isaiah Ford, I thought, played really well. He did good to shake one-on-one -on -one coverage from the slot the few times that he got it. And when he had to go up against zone coverage, he sat down in the zone, caught the football, and broke some tackles. That's all you can ask for that position. I was bummed to see Devontae Parker go out of this game because that catch that he made up on the sideline on the wheel route was terrific. What a fantastic job of concentration and holding the ball through the point of contact. And those are the kind of plays that always seem to get that guy going, but he smacked the turf super hard. That was a bad look. He definitely was concussed. We'll see if he's back this week. And then in the backfield, Patrick Laird looked pretty shifty. He's still a total liability in pass protection. He gets ran over more often than not, but he can make guys miss in the open field. We know about his pass catching prowess. He literally broke Cryon Brown's ankle. Go look it up. The dude is now on injured reserve after that 12-yard run off left tackle where he made a jump cut in open space and literally broke the dude's ankle. He rolls around on the ground after the cut was made, left the game, did not come back, and his season is now over. Laird also ran a beautiful sluggo route, a slant and go route, which was a perfect design working off the Haas concept. The Haas concept is what the Patriots did to basically win the Super Bowl last year, where you get backs out, flexed out wide, tight ends in the seam, and then Julian Edelman inside with an option route, and they try to find either the option route inside if Edelman gets single coverage, or they throw to the back outside if the coverage is too far off. And the Dolphins do this all the time too, because, well, Chad O'Shea comes from New England. It's their favorite famous package they run up there where the back is out wide in a plus split and the Dolphins threw that hitch or that square in several times in this game to Laird or to Haskin, to Gaskin I should say or even to a tight end when he was out there for an easy five or six yards and off of that they then run the slant and go route for a big gain at the end of the game what could have been the winning drive if the game had held up that way but you see the design and the influence to attack the defense and how effective it is I was just so impressed with this offensive staff's ability 
ability to get production out of this roster. To change on the fly like that when you lose two receivers after only dressing four, it's just so impressive. We saw Doug Peterson do this on Monday night against the Giants and will that team to victory without enough bodies to complete an open, a full day's roster. But the Dolphins did it on Sunday with even less of a roster. It's impressive. And it wasn't as impressive seeing Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of go noodle arm on a couple of those plays, especially on the deep vertical shot to Mac Hollins. We saw Eli Manning on Monday night use his noodle arm, and that might be the case on Sunday at the Meadowlands if it is, in fact, Eli Manning and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And you know what's not impressive, though, is when you show up with that noodle in the bedroom. Listen up, fellas. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, with a big old beard, 37-year-old quarterback. It doesn't matter. Since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. If you can benefit from more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKED ON. One word, all caps. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B L U E CHEW.com. Promo code LOCKED ON to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Wednesday here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, and that means we're recording this show on Tuesday, and Tuesdays this year for your Miami Dolphins have been moving day in that they signed several players every single Tuesday, and there was no exception this Tuesday, week 15, heading in to the third to last game of the season against the New York Giants, and the Dolphins have announced the signing of three players, two off of practice squads and one off of waivers. Defensive back Nate Brooks from New England, he comes over from their practice squad. Linebacker Jamal Davis comes over from the Titans practice squad, and Miami were awarded tackle Adam Pankey off waivers from the Green Bay Packers. Miami placed Ryan Lewis and Ken Webster, the cornerbacks, on injured reserve and waived running back Zach Zenner. So I want to say that gives the Dolphins five, maybe six more players that could get playing time on Sunday that previously have not played for this team, and that would put them over the 78 mark, which is the record for most players to ever play a single season or a single rep with a team in a given season. I've long since given up trying to track everybody's number. Who knows what numbers they'll get, but you're going to see more new guys on the field Sunday against the Giants. But let's go ahead and go back before we go forward. We are not on to New York yet. We are still on New York, rather. Let's go ahead and jump into the All-22. And to me, the most impressive part of the Dolphins staff was the recognition to make a change late in this game to bring more exterior pressure. They were not getting to Sam Darnold really at all in this game. In fact, the one sack they did get was the third or fourth last play of the game, the one that should have finished the game in earnest. And the big change came through a lot of cornerback pressure, exterior pressure coming off the edge in some crucial situations late in the game. And that play got the defense off the field on a pair of third and six plays. 
On one instance, Nick Needham sent the ball right back into Darnold's face on a rejection. Another, he had the right look, Darnold did, but the picture changed on him post-snap and forced him to come off the initial read. Then, at the end of the game, it burned the Dolphins as both safeties took really bad pursuit angles, Stephen Parker and Adrian Colbert, and I think both those guys tend to be a step late most of the time in this defensive backfield. Of course, two newcomers this season and Colbert more recently, but Parker was there for the big interception and did a great job to close down on a corner route from his deep half to cover two look on that play, but really that play was just a terrible, terrible decision and throw from Sam Darnold. The rest of the secondary, I thought, struggled for the most part. I don't think Nick Needham's game was as good as I initially thought after watching the All-22. He got bailed out on the Demarius Thomas drop on one possession in the first half, but I also guess that kind of evens itself out because of the egregious call to uphold Demarius Thomas's touchdown catch that was not a touchdown catch. So I guess we're even there. I continue to love the way Jamal Wilts tackles and hustles, but he got beat a few times in coverage. He's susceptible to two-way goes, which is not a great trait for a slot cornerback. Ken Webster didn't play well in this game at all. He's now on injured reserve. Neither did Ryan Lewis. He too is on injured reserve. They both got beat when they were asked to win one-on-ones a couple of times against Robbie Anderson or Jamison Crowder. Into the front seven, Raekwon McMillan, I thought, had the biggest jump for me as far as going from the broadcast version to the All-22. He was really playing fast and aggressive, and he's gotten so much better. We know what he can do in the running game, but he's gotten so much better this year playing in coverage when the play is in front of his eyes and he doesn't have to turn, drop, and run. He is really getting good at keying the crossing routes and closing those off and really just kind of getting in front of that route, preventing a long catch and run for a receiver coming across the formation. He does well to identify the hook zone and find the right landmark when he makes those drops, and he's playing the back in the flats as well as I've ever seen him. We know he played well against the run, but really his work against coverage or in coverage in this game was impressive to me. Jerome Baker had some really good reps, especially in that second half, but he also offset that by a number of pretty bad reps, especially that face mask in the second half where he extended a long drive for the Jets on third and 13 on a screenplay. The story is really the same here. He's not going to beat blocks consistently enough to truly get the most out of this scheme, and I'm very curious to see what his future holds here in Miami. Vince Beagle does those things, though. He's just so impressive. They played him a lot more in these four Uh, Four-point stances on even fronts, a lot more even fronts this week could be the reason why Taco didn't play as much. He's getting some run as the six technique over the tight end. In this game, he dented the edge in the ground game a whole heck of a lot. Andrew Van Ginkle's sack was a great snapshot into his role in the future for this team. Rush contain, work up field, eye the quarterback, disengage at the last moment, and beat that tight end for a sack when they want to do that. He overset the tight end by rushing upfield, then play contain, and if the quarterback breaks the pocket, which he did right here, he is there to clean it up, and he did that. And the reason he was able to do that was because interior pressure from Christian Wilkins, who walked his man right into the lap of the quarterback, he did that a few times in this game, and so did Devon Godshaw on top of his regular, consistent work stacking up double teams. All things told, there's really not a lot of individual prowess on a week-to-week basis. Like, we don't have mega plays on defense to break down. Guys doing extraordinary things as pass rushers or taking the football away or some really instinctive, smart plays by the secondary. We just don't have the talent yet, so maybe next year in the future this defensive film can have some more pop because for the most part, it's pretty boring. And with that, we're on to New York. And joining the podcast now is the host of Locked On Giants. She covers the team for Giants Maven. She is the venerable Patricia Trainer. Patricia, welcome into the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's no problem. And you had mentioned to me that you were getting in late last night because of the Giants primetime game as we record here on a Tuesday night. And I want to start with the main topic of that game, the status of the Giants quarterback position. Are you guys going to have the rookie ready for us on Sunday or is it going to be Eli with a shot to re-even his career win-loss record at 117 and 117? My guess is it's going to be Eli. Now, with Daniel Jones, Pat Shermer has said that if Daniel Jones is cleared and ready to go, he will be the guy. The problem is, is that while everybody was getting excited last week about how Daniel Jones was out of the walking boot and standing around and doing a little movement until he actually does some running, until he actually, you know, throws, drops back and throws off that foot, he's not getting out there. Now, I have heard that it is a multi-week injury. This was before the NFL Network's report came out. Um, I have heard anywhere from two to four weeks. Um, I know Daniel Jones is looking to expedite that and get back there on the field, but it's just kind of interesting because all the people, just about all the people who couldn't wait to run Eli out of town on a rail, you know, all of a sudden they were like adoring him again because he had come back. And I, I just find the whole thing uh, funny. But with that said, I, I do think it's going to be Eli on Sunday. It does kind of seem like a perfect way to end the Eli career in New York because you don't want to rush Daniel Jones back on a high ankle sprain or whatever the ankle sprain severity is in a season that, like you mentioned, is lost for the Giants. And that kind of segues perfectly into my next question for you because this has been such a weird year for the Dolphins. We've rooted against our own team almost all year long. We've rooted for other teams' draft picks or to help our draft picks get better. And it has just not gone well for us. Almost every single game ends up in disappointment this year for Miami, it seems. And I think Dolphins fans were probably bigger Giants fans than actual Giants fans on Monday night, hoping they would worsen their own draft position. So my question for you is, is the Giants fan base all in on draft mode? And if so, when did losses become the priority over wins? Oh, I think it's been that way for a while now. I wouldn't say the entire fan base is, is you know, down that path, but I do see on my Twitter account, a lot of people are like, hey, let's start talking about the draft. And I have to remind those people that I work according to the NFL schedule. I'm not ready to talk about the draft. I can I can't really name more than maybe 5 to 10 prospects in this year's draft class and I can't really so I can't talk about it. But, you know, people write to me and they say, "Oh, you know, what do you think of this one or what do you think the first priority should be?" So, yes, people are looking ahead. I tend to take it, though, you know, to borrow Pat Shermer's phrase, I tend to stay in the moment. So I'm looking at getting all the stuff done for Dolphins week. But with that said, I'm also aware that the Giants season's going nowhere. There's going to be massive changes and all that stuff. And, um, yeah, I'm curious to see how it works out, too. I'm, I'm hoping the Giants get a very high draft pick for selfish reasons, mainly because it means that my night will be done early and I won't have to stay up late. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it, you know, the Giants, they, they need to restock the cupboard. This is you know going to be Dave Gettleman's third year, and I do believe they're going to retain him, by the way. I know there's, there's questions about that amongst the fan base, but it's going to be his third year. And, and like I tell people, even if you go back to the, to the wilderness years of, you know, the late sixties and 1970s, George Young, when he was hired, got three years to turn things around and he did. So I have no reason to believe that Dave Gettleman won't get three years. And I have no reason to believe that he, he won't be looking to, you know, get another strong draft class on board. 
and the loser of that game Sunday in the Meadowlands is going to improve their draft position greatly. And we're going to come back on the other side here with a lot left to get to for that game, I should say, with Patricia Trainer, the host of Locked On Giants here on Locked On Dolphins. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And if you're going to go ahead and grab a bite during the break, or if it was just a long day at work, or you're still stuck in the office, open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. It is a Wednesday here on Locked On Dolphins. That means we're talking crossover podcast, and this long, long season is just three games away from coming to its unceremonious end. I've got Patricia Trana here, the host of Locked On Giants. And Patricia, I want to ask you to highlight some of the bright spots on this tough season for the Giants. We saw Darius Slayton on Monday night continue his strong season, but who else on this roster that maybe the casual fan is not really aware of is having a big year for the Giants? Well, let's see. Darius Slayton, you, you mentioned he's he's been, you know, I mean, he's been a godsend. He's really stepped up. He was a guy who a lot of people did not think was going to amount to much because he had some early year injuries. Um, defensively, you know, they're missing their their linebacker, Ryan Connolly, who really looked promising. Um, they're, they're hoping, you know, O'Shane Zimenez is starting to come around a little bit. Uh, their, you know, their cornerback, uh, DeAndre Baker, has been playing better. Sam Bill is still kind of trying to get his feet underneath him. He was responsible for two, you know, backbreaking penalties. But really, you know, when you look at it, it's just been kind of a, a lost season. I mean, not a whole lot to smile about. You know, injuries have also, um, you know, fallen into place and, and affected this team. But it's just it's just been a really weird and exhausting year for Giant fans because there hasn't been a whole lot to smile about. In the past, you could even say, oh, you know, smile about Saquon Barkley, but he hasn't even been himself. But I would say to answer your question, Darius Slayton, O'Shane Zimenez is promising Ryan Connolly before his injury, very promising. Um, Dalvin Thompson has been coming on strongly and, and, and uh, you know, after a slow start, uh, DeAndre Baker's starting to pull it together. But, you know, uh, other than that, you know, and then you could, I guess you could throw in Daniel Jones, despite, you know, the turnover issue. But other than that, not really, you know, a whole lot of bright spots. Yeah, that's how you get to two and 10, right? I mean, or two and 11, you don't have many bright spots to look at. But I am glad you mentioned Dalvin Tomlinson, because as I kind of prepare myself for this game on Sunday and try to figure out who's going to win... The Dolphins' biggest issue all season long has been the offensive line, and I contend that even if the Giants are something of an equal team to Miami right now, the front-line talent that team has up front could cause some issues. Guys like Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, you mentioned Dalvin Tomlinson. How have those guys done at pressuring the quarterback? Because that's where Miami can really get beat in this game, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, and I forgot to mention Dexter Lawrence, who's been a bright spot, too. So my apologies to Big Dex. But no, the, the, the Giants defensive front against the Eagles and the Eagles, you know, they have some problems up front on their offensive line. So the Giants were actually able to do a really good job, I thought, of getting pressures. I want to say they had a total of 10 quarterback hits, which is, I think, a season high for the Giants. So 
I think if they go against, you know, a Dolphins line, which I believe is not really settled there, it could make for a long afternoon. And, and, you know, you add to that, if the quarterback stays in the pocket and, and doesn't move around much, um, it could, it could make for, you know, a high number of hits and, and, you know, batted passes and sacks and everything like that. I mean, Marcus Golden, who has been playing down on the line, he has just been on a tear. He's been their biggest threat as a pass rusher. Like I said, Oshane Simenez, the rookie, he had a couple of sacks last week or I should say on Monday night against the Eagles so yeah I think it's going to be you know uh, that's definitely going to be a matchup to watch and hopefully one that the Giants can build on and Marcus Golden rushes over the left tackle correct I yes yeah so that's where Miami's biggest weak spot is so that's the part of the game I think could be the deciding factor in this game and you did mention Dave Gettleman earlier in the podcast you think he'll be back so I gotta ask you is there any way that Dave or Pat Shermer I should say saves his job in New York I don't see it happening I I mean look there are games that Pat Shermer's Giants should have won all right they should have beaten uh the the Lions they should have beaten Arizona, they should have won last night, uh, Monday night against the Eagles. This team is not a two-win team. It has far too much talent. And Shermer, every week, there is something that pops up that leaves you saying, what the heck is he thinking? And leaves you just saying, my God, he was out coached again. And last, you know, on Monday night, there were two instances where he got fooled. And I have been saying all along that I think Shermer has bitten off more he can chew as far as, you know, managing the sideline and calling the plays and making all the decisions that a head coach needs to do, to make. This is something I have never been a fan of, and I'm still not a fan. And then, you know, today uh, during his conference call on uh, with the reporters the day after, he was asked about why Leonard Williams wasn't in on that last drive um, the, the game-winning drive in overtime. And he said, well, it was part of a rotation and his turn wasn't up. And I'm sitting there going, really? You actually stuck to a rotation and it didn't matter what the situation was? I mean, just, so just little stupid things like that just make you sit there and say, what are you doing, Pat? You know, so I, I do think, you know, it's going to be a stretch for him to keep his job. But if by some miracle he does, you're going to see significant changes on that coaching staff. I think you're going to see the defensive staff swept out. You may see the offensive line coach gone. And you might see management insist to Shermer that he no longer call the plays and hire somebody to do that so that he can manage the sideline better. But I, I just don't know that he stays. I, I don't think he should. I don't think he's done a good enough job. He hasn't changed. And, uh, you know, the, the results speak for themselves. And if there's one thing the Dolphins have done well this year, it's come up with good game plans and coach well to get this roster, which is completely worthy of a 0-1-2 or 3-win season like they've played so far, and they found a way to win some games. I know you probably haven't ch- uh, turned the page yet to Dolphins week, but if you could real quick, what is your score prediction for the game on Sunday? Oh, gosh. Um, I'd like to say that this is a game the Giants should win because I know the Dolphins have had their share of issues and they've also dismantled a lot of their roster. I thought the Giants should have won against Arizona. And I'll tell you what, I, I keep telling people until I see a reason to believe again in this Giants team, I can't pick them to win. And, and you know, I, I just 
don't trust them to win against the Dolphins. I, I, I'm good. I think it's going to be maybe a low scoring game, maybe like a I don't know a 17-10 game. Um, but just I I just don't see it with the Giants. And and normally I'm a very optimistic person. I try to see, you know, uh, and and point out the good, but. I've just seen too many issues with the coaching, with the players, with with everything that just is very disheartening. Well, I can tell this season has worn on you, Patricia, as it has me. So I appreciate you taking the time to stop with, with us here on the Crossover Wednesday podcast. Again, she is the host of Locked On Giants, Patricia Trena. Thank you so much for doing this. And please tell the folks where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Patricia underscore Trina. You can also find my written work at the Giants Maven. That's at si.com slash NFL slash Giants. So we're going to have coming up this week our first look at the Dolphins. So we'll have some stats and facts about the Dolphins, uh, you know, as we break them, start to break them down. We'll have uh, some an- analysis because I know there's a lot of Giant fans down in South Florida who probably pick up this your podcast as well. So, yeah, just check us out and, and also the Locked on Giants podcast, of course. And you'll, and you'll hear me on the Crossover Wednesday edition for Locked on Giants as well. Patricia, thank you so much. My pleasure. And away she goes. We are going to have the preview edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast for Dolphins and Giants tomorrow. Going to do something I haven't done all season long. Stay tuned for that. But as for today's episode, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL, the show at Locked On Fins, and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.